السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Some guys to me, I, I might check this, I just want to make sure the stream is working okay. Seems to be a slight lag on my side. So I'm going to, if someone can just please confirm that it's okay. That the stream's running, running okay and that you can hear me. Someone can just type in the chat, please. That would be appreciated. Okay, Sakobahir. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wal-a'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa-ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lah. Ilahu al-awwaleen wal-akhirin. Wa-ashadu anna nabiyyana muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluhu al-mustafa al-ameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barika la abdika wa rasoolika muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Welcome to another lesson with Quranic progression. Inshallah Ta'ala, today we're going to continue the tafsir of Surah Al-A'la. Um, we are towards the tail end of the surah. Um, and last week we went over a number of verses from verse 13 onwards. And Surah Al-A'la is a surah, as we mentioned, uh, that the Prophet ﷺ would recite on a number of occasions. Uh, he would recite it regularly. So for example, in Salatul Jumu'ah, and Salatul Eid, and Salatul Witr, uh, there are a number of narrations that mention this surah as being one of the main surahs that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would recite in those salawat. And so it is a surah that he would repeat on numerous occasions. And it is a surah, as we've seen, that speaks about, uh, about us uh, concentrating or about us focusing in terms of our worship of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala and focusing on the Akhir, on the Hereafter, and understanding the reality of the dunya and purifying our actions and our beliefs. Uh, in the verses that we covered last week, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or in the verse that we covered a couple of weeks back, Allah azza wa said concerning those people who don't stay, uh, who, 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 who turn away from the reminder of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they're not from those people who say, ذَكَّرُوا مَنْ يَخْشَى who are people who are heeding the reminder and therefore increasing in the in their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fear of Allah azza wa jal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَيَتَجَنَّبُهَا الْأَشْقَى As for the wretched, then they don't heed the reminder. As for the wretched, they don't remember. As for the wretched, they don't come to that remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and pay attention to it. Allah azza wa jal says that for them is الَّذِي يَصْلَ النَّارَ الْكُبْرَى For them will be the punishment of the great fire. And as we mentioned a couple of weeks back, the statements of a number of the scholars with the Salaf Ali rahmatullah that the Nar al-Kubra is the Nar of the hereafter. It is the great fire, meaning the fire of the hereafter, as opposed to the Nar al-Sughra, which is the fire of this life. Last week then, we, we continued with those verses that in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about this same topic. And Allah azza wa jalla then describes those people who are in the fire, the Nar al-Kubra, as being people who neither live nor die. Wherein they will neither die nor live. And we said that a number of the scholars of Tafsir were of the position that the meaning of this neither life nor death is in terms of not the reality because those people are living. Those people have a type of life, but what is being negated from them is any type of life that would give them benefit or any type of death that would give them respite from the punishment of the fire. And so life 
generally speaking, has that meaning attached to it. So when we say that something is living, it means that it is benefiting or enjoying or taking something from that type of existence. And death is the opposite. Death is to cease to exist. It is a respite from life or from uh, or from existence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates both from the, for those people. Now normally when it comes to uh, the life of the dunya, as we said, uh, if you negate for someone life and you say that they have died, if that person, for example, is experiencing a great deal of pain, they were undergoing some type of terminal illness or disease, they were in a great deal of discomfort, that death would give them respite from that at least. It would give them respite from that at least. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, however, for the people of the fire, negates both life and death. So he negates from them anything which will be beneficial in terms of an existence that they can have some type of enjoyment in or some type of fulfillment in or anything that they could take away from that type of existence. And he also negates from them death, meaning that there will be no rest or respite from the existence of the fire, the existence of or their existence within the fire. And we know uh, from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam that Allah Azza wa Jal, after the people of Jannah enter into Jannah and the people of the fire, enter into the fire, then death will be brought forth in the shape of a ram or in the form of a ram. And it will be commanded that it be slaughtered. And then it will be said to the people of Jannah, O people of Jannah, for you is eternity and there is no death. And it will be said to the people of the fire the same thing, O people of the fire, for you also is eternity and no death. And so those people will remain therein forever. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there is no life, that they will benefit from no death, that they will be uh, saved or that they will be able to take respite in from the punishment of the fire. And as we said last week, this is to negate those people who have those concepts concepts or those uh, perceptions that maybe in the fire I can get together then with those types of people or certain types of people and we can together go and sit and, and mix and whatever. If those are the people of the fire, then I will be with them and they will be my company. No, it is not that type of existence. That existence of meeting people, of enjoying life, of of having comfort with one another and so on, that is for the people of Jannah. That is what Allah affirms for the people of Jannah, that they are upon araik, upon couches, reclining, facing one another. Brothers, uh, that Allah says, Allah says that He will remove from them ghil, all types of rancor and hatred and ill feeling and enmity from their hearts. They will be in that type of existence. They will be a sukh that they will meet in, a marketplace that they will go to and that they will meet in and that they will converse with one another and so on. All of that is affirmed for the people of Jannah, but it is negated from the people of the fire. And so that is why uh, many of the scholars of Tafsir were of the position that this is the meaning of this verse. And others said that it was well known amongst the Arabs, as we mentioned last week, that if someone was going through a major calamity, a severe trial, then they will say that that person is neither living nor dead. That person, he's not living nor is he dead, meaning that his life is just so difficult and unbearable at the moment that it's as if he's not li- really living, not really dying, he's just like a zombie going through the motions. Uh, and that's what they would say. And so some of the scholars of Tafsir said that Allah Azza wa Jal uh, borrowed, if you like, that type of, 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 uh, of phrasing that was common amongst the Arabs to show that something is extremely severe. And Allah Azza wa Jal gave something similar in the Quran. And that may be you know, possible Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. But the general meaning, even if that is the case, you know, from the general meaning of the Quran or from the general verses of the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, the narrations in the Sunnah, that the meaning of this verse is more to do with the benefit of what people consider to be beneficial in terms of life and also in terms of death. 
and that Allah Azza wa Jal negates both from those people. And we mentioned also last week the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu in Sahih Muslim about the people of the fire who were the believers who enter the fire for a short while and how Allah Azza wa Jal also describes their existence therein or how rather the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described their existence therein as a type of death also. In verse 14 uh, that we covered last week, Allah Azza wa Jal says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ Prosperous are those who purify themselves. And we said then that there are a number of positions amongst the scholars with tafsir as to the meaning of this tazkiyah or this purification that is being referred to in this verse. And how a number of them went to the position of it being purification in terms of belief and theology. That a person corrects their aqidah, their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their iman. And so they stay away from shirk and kufr and, and, and so on and so forth. They stay away from those things. And others said it is to do with action. That is those people who have good deeds. They purify themselves through action, through righteous deeds, through worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And others said that it is a specific act that is being referred to as we mentioned last week. And that is that it's referring to zakah. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ Meaning from the word zakah. That they are those people who, and that is the meaning of the word zakah. Zakah means linguistically to purify yourselves. And so some of the scholars said that therefore here the meaning of the word tazakah is the zakah that we give which comes from the same root word because the root word of zakah is to purify yourself through the act of giving charity and spending in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, so some of the scholars were of that position therefore that it's to do with zakah and we mentioned the statements of the likes of Abu al-Ahwas and others from amongst the salaf alayhim rahmatullah and others said no actually what it's referring to is the zakat al-fitr that we give at the end of the month of Ramadan. Um, and that is because, as we said, that the next verse will speak about salah as well. So some of the scholars said it's referring to zakah because zakah and salah are often mentioned together in the Quran. Uh, as we know on numerous occasions, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Aqimu zakah, establish the prayer, give the zakah. And so therefore it is something similar that is being done in these verses. Another said, no, that it's actually referring to the zakah here that is being referred to is zakat al-fitr. Because when Allah Azza wa Jal refers to salah in the next verse, then it's referring to the zakah that is attached to a salah. And there is only one zakah that is attached to a salah in that way. So usually Allah Azza wa Jal links between zakah and salah as a concept, as two pillars of Islam, two acts of worship. But you don't have to give your zakah, your annual zakah, after fajr of a day, or a maghrib of a day, or a jum'ah prayer of a day, and so on. It can be as and when you please on the day that your zakat is due, you give it any time that you like. Whereas the zakat al-fitr is linked to a prayer. It is linked to the prayer that is the Eid, the Salatul Eid, the Eid prayer of Eid al-fitr. And we know that the uh, general practice of the companions of the Prophet wasallam and the Salaf is that they would give that zakat on the way to the Eid prayer. That they would give it on the night before. So Eid has come in now because as we know the night precedes the day. And so therefore once Maghrib comes in, the night before Eid, the day of Eid has technically started from an Islamic viewpoint. And so the next day has come in, and so some of the Salaf would go and they would give it that night, that evening, and others would wait till the morning after Fajr or before Fajr, and they would give it on their way to the Eid prayer. And that is because, as the Prophet Wasallam said, uh, and you know, we don't really want to go into the, the rulings of Zakat al-Fitr and so on, but the Prophet Wasallam said that from the uh, wisdoms or from the legislation of Zakat al-Fitr is that the poor have something to eat on the day of Eid. They also have something that on that day, they don't have to worry about finding food 
uh, and, and so on because on that day they want to as with everyone else they want to spend that time enjoying with their family and so it is it is a food that is given for the poor on that day and so the general practice was as um, it's obviously different in our time now in the sense of uh, you know the way that we sometimes give that zakah slightly early because we give it in money form that has to be bought and then has to be uh, distributed to those people and so on so some people give their zakah a few days before and so on that's a slightly different issue but in terms of the general ruling is that that food was for the day of Eid and so the general practice amongst the Salafis is that they wouldn't really give it two or three days before because if you give it to the poor person three days before they're likely to eat it three or two days before Eid so they would give it on the day of Eid and so therefore it is linked technically like in its original form that zakah is linked to the Salatul Eid uh, and anyone who gives it after the Salatul Eid, it's not considered to them for them to be Zakatul Fitr. It's just considered to be a Sadaqah, that they give a charity, a general charity, but they have missed what is the Zakatul Fitr. And so it is it is limited by its time. It is defined by its timing and by its Salah. And so some of the scholars, therefore, of the position that this Eid or this Zakah rather that is being mentioned here is Zakatul Fitr. And as we said, that was the position of a number of the scholars of of the Salaf, for example, Sa'id ibn Musayyab, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Abu Aliyah, from the Tabi'een, the famous Khalifa, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, Alihim Rahmatullahi Jami'an, all of them were of that position. And no doubt, uh, the word tazakka, as we mentioned last week, is a general word. As Imam Tabari others said, it includes all of this stuff. And so, therefore, giving zakah, acts of worship, purifying yourself in terms of your aqeed and your belief, all of them come under the general purification that Allah Azza wa Jal is, being, is referring to. And so as some of the Salaf did, they used to link certain things with certain things as specific examples, but that doesn't negate in any way the general meaning of the verse. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows, uh, knows best. In I think today we, we begin then from uh, verse number 15. I think that's where we left off last week. Which is linked to verse number 14 that we covered. So Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse number 14, as we said, He said, Prosperous are those who purify themselves. And it is linked to verse number 15 because an extension of that purification also alongside that purification. They remember the name of their Lord and they pray. That is the translation of Professor Abdul Harim in Sahih International and mentions the name of his Lord and prays. Uh, Mufti Taqi pronounces the name of his Lord and offers prayer. And Muhammad Muhsin Khan and remembers or glorifies the name of his Lord and then um, in brackets worships none but Allah and prays. And then in brackets five compulsory prayers and the nawafil or the additional prayers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here he says, rabbihi. They remember the name of their Lord Fasalda and then they pray. Uh, the Statement of Allah Azza wa Jal Rasma Rabbihi, they remember the name of their Lord. The scholars of Tafsir, alayhi rahmatullah, they had different expressions that they used in terms of the Tafsir of this particular verse or this portion of the verse in terms of what it's referring to. So, for example, one of those uh, expressions is Wahadallah, that they made the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they remember the name of their Lord by saying La ilaha illallah, by mentioning the uh, Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is a position that was reported for example by or from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma that he said that the meaning of this verse is that he uh, glorifies or that he pronounces or announces the 
oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And others from amongst the scholars of tafsir, they said, no, it is more generic. And that is, that it is a general dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the general dhikr of Allah azza wa jal includes dua, and it includes anything which brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no doubt the, um, the dhikr of Allah azza wa jal as a, as a general concept is a very wide concept. The dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the remembrance of Allah azza wa jal, uh, can be anything. Uh, in terms of that which reminds you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not linked specifically only to the adhkar that we often refer to. So for example, saying subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, Allahu akbar, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. That is no doubt dhikr, and that is the meaning of the word that comes foremost to mind when we say the word dhikr. But the word dhikr is actually much more generic. It includes dua, for example, it includes the recitation of the Qur'an, uh, it includes uh, other types of du'as and ad'i and adhkar that you may make. For example, from the adhkar is the adhkar of the morning, the adhkar of the evening, the different du'as that you make of the day and the night. And as you're doing certain actions during the day and the night, entering your home, leaving the home, entering the masjid, leaving the masjid, entering the bathroom, leaving the bathroom, eating, finishing eating, all of these different actions that we do throughout the day that have adhkar linked to them, that is dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also the salah is the dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. In the salah it is dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because much of the salah is, uh, is dhikr and dua and recitation of the Qur'an. And so some of the scholars said that this is the meaning here, meaning in any way and form. Dua, recitation of the Qur'an, dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal, anything that you, that, we, that you do in terms of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is included in this. <coughs> And the Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his position that he chose in his tafsir, he, as he often does, he combined between the two. Because when, as we said before, the methodology of Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, is that when there is something which is a generic term or a generic word that in, can encompass a number of the positions of the scholars of the Salaf, or even all of them, because all of them expressed in essentially different ways what is one and the same thing and one and the same meaning, that Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, often goes with the more general position, because it encompasses all of those positions as, as you well know now. And so he said, يقال, And so the correct position on this is to say that means It is to include all types of dhikr and making tawheed of Allah and dua and anything which brings you closer to Allah Azza wa Jal, because all of that he said is from the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his remembrance. And Allah Azza wa Jal in this verse did not specify one type of dhikr as opposed to another. Allah Azza wa Jal didn't specify one type of dhikr, for example, recitation of the Qur'an, or dua, or a dhikr such as la ilaha illallah, as some of the scholars of the Salaf said, or Allahu Akbar, or subhanallah, or alhamdulillah, or anything else. Rather Allah Azza wa Jal said, wa dhakka rasma rabbih. He remembers the name of his Lord. And so anything which therefore falls within that is something which is therefore sufficient. Um, and therefore, one of the things that we realize, uh, therefore, that the scholars of the Salaf, again, have different expressions, but essentially they're speaking about one and the same thing. And then Allah Azza wa says, فصلى, And they pray, or he prays. And again, the scholars of Tafsir um, have slightly different uh, positions concerning what is exactly being referred to in terms of the salah 
So some of them said it means the five daily prayers. The five daily prayers. Just as they said when it comes to the zakah, those scholars that chose the position that it's zakah, they said that it is the zakah. Uh, and uh, the salah, therefore, would, would fall within that bracket in terms of that's a pillar and this is a pillar. So when we say zakah, we mean the zakah that is obligatory. We don't mean any type of sadaqah. We don't mean any type of general charity that someone gives. We mean the zakah that Allah is obligated once a year for those people that have the ability to pay it and the conditions apply upon them. And likewise, therefore, salah is referring to the five daily prayers, the five obligatory salahs of Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, and Isha. And this was the position of uh, Ibn Abbas, uh, anhuma. And others said, no, what's being referred to is the Eid prayer. The Eid prayer. So again, we can see now, those who said that it's zakah, they said that it's a general salah. Those who said, no, it's zakatul fitr, they came and they said, no, actually, it's the salah that is the salatul eid that Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to here. And so, again, they specified the type of salah that a person is, uh, that, that, that is being referred to here, that is the eid prayer of the day of fitr. So the Eid prayer that is the one that comes after the month of Ramadan. And others said that it's referring to dua, that the word, وَذَكَرَ اسْمَ رَبِّهِ فَصَلَّى who remembers his Lord and he makes dua, salla meaning dua. And that is because the word salah uh, in its original Arabic means dua. So the linguistic meaning of the word salah is to make dua, to call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So them, some of them said, like they said about zakah, tazakah, that it means uh, purification, because that's the asal of the meaning of the word zakah. And then likewise here, salah means dua linguistically. Linguistically, salah is to call out, it is to call upon or to supplicate and invoke. And so therefore they said that's what it means here, to remember your Lord and to call out to him, meaning by making dua. And that is what Allah Azza wa Jal says uh, for those people who give uh, zakat, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is told by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in the Quran, خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةً تُطَهِّرُهُمْ وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ بِهَا وَصَلِّ عَلَيْهِمْ إِنَّ صَلَاتَكَ سَكَنٌ لَهُمْ Allah Azza wa Jalla commands the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam take from their wealth a sadaqah that will purify them and cleanse them. وَصَلِّ عَلَيْهِمْ And then make salah upon them. Salah as in make dua for them. إِنَّ صَلَاتَكَ سَكَنٌ لَهُمْ Indeed, your salah is, uh, or your prayer is a, a tranquility for them, meaning that it's something which gives them peace and tranquility. And so that is the linguistic referral here. It doesn't mean pray for them as in make salah physically, like pray on their behalf. It means salah as in make the salah of dua, make dua for them on their behalf. And that is why it is, as we know in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abi Awfa radiyallahu an in Sahih Bukhari and other than that that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when someone would come to him and he would give them they would give him their zakah the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would make dua for them and he would say Allahumma salli ala and then he would mention their name oh Allah send your salutations make dua he would say make salah upon these people and so he said Abdullah ibn Abi Awfa that my father came and he gave to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam his zakah and he said to my father Allahumma salli Oh Allah, send your salah upon the family of Abu Awfa. And so that's something which the Prophet would do. And so therefore some of the scholars said that that is also what is being referred to here, the linguistic meaning as opposed to the shari meaning. So as when it comes to these terms, as you know, for those of you that have studied, for example, fiqh and other sciences, we have the linguistic meaning of terms and we have the technical or shari meaning of the term. 
And so the linguistic meaning, for example, of salah would be supplication. But the technical term is a set number of actions and words that begin with the takbir, end with the taslim, and so on. That's the technical description of, uh, of, of, of uh, this word, which is salah. And so the uh, sharia comes and it takes words of the Arabic language and it gives to them a set urf, a set custom by which they then become known. However, that doesn't negate from it its original meaning. Because the salah is an act of supplication. All of it is calling upon Allah Azza wa Jal and invoking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his mercy and forgiveness and so on and so forth. It's just that it took from the general meaning the word salah and it specified it to a type of dua, a type of invocation of Allah Azza wa Jal. But sometimes the original meaning is still applied and used in the Quran and elsewhere as well. And therefore, this was the... Um, Al-Imam Al-Tabari once again when he came to this portion of the verse again he because of the general meaning of the word and that it encompasses all of those different types of meanings the obligatory prayers and the Eid prayer and this prayer and that prayer as well as Dua he combined between all of them also when he said it means As-Sarawatu wa dhikrullah wa dhikrullah it is to offer the prayers and to remember Allah Azza wa Jal therein with by making tahmid, which is to say alhamdulillah, and timjid, which is to glorify Allah Azza wa Jal, and by making dua. And Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that he means that the one who aqamas salata fi awqatiha, he is the one who establishes the prayer at its proper times. Ibtigha'aridwanillah, seeking the pleasure of Allah, wa ta'atan li amrillah, and in obedience to the command of Allah Azza wa Jal, wa mtithalin li shari'illah, and in accordance to the shari'a of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that's, that was the position of Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala. The, this verse therefore, verse number 15, He remembers the name of their Lord, or they remember the name of their Lord and they pray. Shows to us one of the greatest ways of making tazkiyah. So Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse number 14, He says, It's prosperous are those who purify themselves, cleanse themselves. And then Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَذَكَّرَ اسْمَ رَبِّهِ فَصَلَّى And they remember their Lord and they pray. So this shows us therefore that the, one of the greatest ways and one of the best ways of purifying yourself is to do what Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned in verse number 15. And that is essentially to constantly be in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are numerous hadith as we know of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa In fact, even the Quran in a number of verses speaks about the, the people of dhikr. Right, the people of dhikr and Allah Azza wa praises them uh, in the Quran on numerous occasions. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he's describing the different believers and the attributes in the Muslimina wal Muslimat wal Mu'minina wal Mu'minat wal Qanitina wal Qanitat, at the end of that verse in Surah Al Hazab, Allah Azza wa says, Wadakirin Allaha kathiran wadakirat and the men and women who remember Allah Azza wa often they remember him much. And so Allah Azza wa praises those people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَطْمَئِنُّ قُلُوبُهُمْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Those who believe and their hearts seek contentment from the remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal. أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبِ Indeed, those who, or indeed in the remembrance of Allah, do the hearts find rest and tranquility. And Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَجِلَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ Those who when Allah is remembered, their hearts tremble. وَإِذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُهُ زَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا And when his verses are recited upon them, then it increases them in iman. وَعَلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ And they trust upon their Lord. And so Allah Azza wa mentions on a number of occasions in the Qur'an 
the importance of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and its benefits and its merits and its virtues and its rewards. And likewise in the sunnah of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he also mentions a number of hadith that speak about the merits and virtues and, uh, and, and rewards of making the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are a number of those hadith. Uh, from them is the, the hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told Abu Musa al-Ash'ari and he called him by his name, the name of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. Sometimes he's referred to in the Sunnah by his name as opposed to his kunya. And his name was Abdullah ibn Qais. Abdullah ibn Qais. And he said, Ya Abdullah ibn Qais, shall I not inform you of a treasure from the treasures of Jannah? He said, Yes, O Messenger of Allah, the Prophet وسلم, to say, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. And likewise, when the Prophet وسلم, went on the night journey and he came across his father Ibrahim, and Ibrahim said to him, Give your ummah my salam, or convey my salams to your ummah, and tell them that Jannah is fertile in its soil. It is good for, it is, is, a, it is a fertile field and its soil is good for growing. And the seeds of Jannah are to say, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. And so that's another hadith that speaks about the virtues and how. Amazing it is that from those small words of remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jalla, the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have an immense amount of reward. You can literally plant forests in Jannah by making those adhkar over and over again. And so to constantly be from amongst those people who say subhanallah a hundred times, alhamdulillah a hundred times, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah, the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that you should say a hundred times a day, la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah lahul mulku wa lahul hamdu wa ala kulli shayin qadir. And the Prophet ﷺ told us that from the most beloved words to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are heavy upon the scale, light upon the tongue, is to say subhanallah wa bihamdih, subhanallah al-azim. And there are many others uh, that speak about the, the amazing uh, nature of these adhkar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ told us to say subhanallah and alhamdulillah, tamla'ul mizan, subhanallah, to say subhanallah, Alhamdulillah fills the scales with good deeds. It fills, just saying it once fills the scales. And to say Alhamdulillah fills everything between the heavens and the earth in terms of good. And so these adhkar are short and concise and easily roll off the tongue, easy to memorize, easy to say, but very few people are conscious of that fact and constantly able to do that on a consistent basis. And that's why one of the things that you find amongst the people of, of knowledge and the scholars of the past is that they would constantly be in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're constantly making dhikr of Allah azza wa jal. Whenever they have a few moments to spare, or if they're sitting with a group of people and there's silence, or people are just talking but it's not really involving them, they just sit there making the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dhikr of Allah azza wa jal. Busying themselves, moving their tongue, making the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I remember going to, uh, or being with a number of our teachers and, and others, and this was this is their way. This is how they are. I, I remember going to one of uh, you know one of the the sheikhs, one of his uh, to his house. A number of us went to visit him, and we sat there, and he started speaking to us. And after a few minutes, you know, the conversation kind of died, and so he just started making dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jalla, waiting for us just to ask a question or to say something else or to ask or if he had something to say. But in those gaps that would occur, he wouldn't just sit there quietly or, or just try to make speech or or, to, or idle talk for the sake of idle talk. He would. Uh, busy himself with the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and I have accompanied other sheikhs that when we're traveling or we're walking and we're not really speaking because I'm doing something or I'm busy and he's waiting for me or whatever, he's there busy making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is something which is a uh, which is difficult to do unless you make it your habit, unless you make it your cust- your customary deed, right? It's something which you're always doing. And so if that's something which you train yourself to do, it's something which you're constantly, uh, constantly mindful of and conscious of, and then you form that habit that you don't allow the day to pass by without making that type of dhikr, then you will be from those people who make the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the salaf will make the dhikr of Allah azza wa jalla. They were people of dhikr. Constantly making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and that includes making istighfar as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa would do when he would sit and on, 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 you know, in one sitting 70 times or during the day 100 times he would say as in the hadith of Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhum allahum aghfilli wa tuba alayhi innaka anta tawabur rahim he would say that 100 times a day uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa would make dhikr constantly sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, and so to have and form that habit is something which is extremely important and beneficial for a person. But it's difficult to do if you don't form the habit. If you don't form the habit, it's something which will, which you will miss. Or times will come and they will go and you won't really realize or you will remember afterwards. And it's not something which then therefore you will be able to take benefit of those times that you have where you have spare moments and so on. But if you're someone who's always constantly doing this, and I have seen people like this, who literally every time they sit, they're making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every time they walk, they're making dhikr of Allah azza wa Unless there is some other thing to be doing because they're speaking to someone or they're sleeping or whatever, and obviously then you know, you're not going to make dhikr. But otherwise, in every other moment, they're just sitting there making dhikr. I have even seen some of them sitting and they're talking with people and whilst other people are having, they're going the conversation. So maybe there's five, six of us and you know, one person speaking, the next one speaking. So you don't have to, you're not always constantly speaking in those moments whilst they're you know, not, not saying anything, they're, they're waiting to say something or they haven't really got anything to contribute yet to the conversation. They're sitting there making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they're listening to everyone else, but their tongue is still moving, making the dhikr of Allah azza wa I have seen people do this. I've seen people who sit, uh, you know, I, I've seen some of the sheikhs sit and they just sit in there making tasbih, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. And they're just doing this constantly, constantly until they're going to do something else. And that's something which is, uh, which unless a person trains himself to do and is conscious of, it is not something which is easily accomplished. Uh, and that's why some, you know, the, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam of the people who make dhikr after fajr, they stay in the masjid, they go to the masjid, they pray fajr, they stay there until the sun rises, making the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then they pray two rakhahs. Their reward is amazing. And so the Prophet wasallam spoke about those people. It is reported that some of the salaf uh, or a number of the salaf would do this. So they would go to the masjid and they would sit after fajr making the dhikr of Allah azza wa until the, until the sun rises. Uh, Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala it was reported that he would do this every single morning. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala reports that his teacher Ibn Taymiyyah would do this every morning and he would say at the end he would say to him, this is my breakfast. This is what I have for breakfast. And it gives me a strength that if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be able to have a productive day. And we know that Ibn Taymiyyah was prolific in terms of his output of, of teaching and writing and authoring. He did a great deal, rahimahullah ta'ala. And the Salaf would often do this. They would seek strength in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and Allah Azza wa Jal actually uh, hints at this as we will come to when we come to those surahs in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually hints at this 
in the Quran. And that is that the dhikr of Allah can actually give you strength. And we're talking about strength of stamina and spirituality in in your ibadah, in being able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dhikr of Allah when it is done with sincerity and done in the way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is something which actually gives you strength, makes you stronger, allows you to continue in your worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala describes it as being his breakfast because it is something which gives you a spiritual strength. And that spiritual strength allows that person then to continue that day making not only dhikr of Allah Azzawajal, but performing other acts of worship such as seeking knowledge and prayer and zakah and or sadaqah and other types of worship that they're performing. And so it's something which is uh, which you find that the scholars did for that reason as well because of the strength that it gives to a person. And there are many stories if you were to, to just like Google, especially if you like uh, speak Arabic or can read Arabic and you go to the books and you just type in dhikr and the salaf or the salaf and the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you will see countless stories and countless incidents of what they went through in terms of making the dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jalla and, and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the benefits that they found and, uh, and the merits that they found and the blessings that came as a result of making the dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jalla and from them is the strength that they would receive from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the point here being that Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying that it is from the greatest ways therefore of purifying yourself because that purification of the heart or that purification of the soul is something which needs to be consistent and constant. And from the greatest ways of being consistent and constantly purifying yourself is to do an action in which you can pretty much do it anywhere, at any time, in any place. And it is relatively easy to do. And so dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is from those deeds. You don't need to be in a masjid. You don't need to have wudu. You don't need to be facing the qibla. You don't need to be you know, necessarily stopped in a place where you're comfortable. You can be walking, you can be driving, you can be sitting, you can be waiting. In pretty much each and every single situation, at work, at home, at school, wherever you are, you can literally be making the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even it is, even if it is something which you only have a gap of 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 2 minutes, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, the dhikr of Allah azawajal fits in. You may only have a minute to spare. In a minute, you may not necessarily be able to pray to rak'ahs. You may not necessarily be able to start reading a book. You may not necessarily be able to listen to a lecture. There are other things that aren't so easy to do and fit into short spaces of time. But the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how long does it take you to say subhanallah? How long does it take you long does it take you to say la ilaha illallah or any of the other adhkar that we mentioned? And so therefore it's something which you can be doing as you are constantly doing. And I remember uh, one of the brothers telling me that when he was with the Shaykh ibn Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, Shaykh ibn Baz, who was, used to be the Grand Mufti of Saudi Arabia before he passed away, Rahimullah Ta'ala, died about 20 odd years ago now. Rahimahullah, when he, when he would be walking to the masjid, as you know, often in, in, when, when you have like a sheikh and he has students with them and they're walking to the masjid, the students want to use that time and benefit. How are the students going to benefit? They're going to ask questions. Right? They have questions they want to ask. They have you know issues that they want to understand. You don't get a lot of personal time with the sheikh. You don't get a lot of one-to-one time. But when the sheikh is walking somewhere or is traveling somewhere, it's easy just to go up to him and say, Sheikh, can I walk with you? And as we're walking, I have a question and so on. This brother told me, though, however, Sheikh bin Baz, ta'ala, if he was walking to the masjid, uh, because the masjid, and he was blind, so he would often have at least one person who would guide him, uh, hold him by his hand and guide him. And often there would be other people around anyway from his students and so on. Uh, if he was walking to the masjid, before the salah, and someone came and he said, I have a question, he would say no. He said, this is the time to make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Prepare yourself for the salah, 
and prepare yourself to stand before Allah Azza wa cleanse yourself by making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he would use those few minutes, two, three, four, five minutes before he gets into the masjid, he would use that making dhikr of Allah Azza wa Then he's going to go into the masjid and he's going to pray tahiyyat al-masjid. And then he's going to sit down and he's going to make dhikr of Allah Azza wa or recite some Quran. And then he's going to get up and pray when the imam comes out or if he himself was going to lead. And that used to be his practice, that he would use that time to make the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the scholars would use those times in that way and they would be disciplined. That person comes, got a question, wants to ask his question. He would say, come to me after the salah, come to me at another time. But this time, these five minutes, therefore my dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is important to have that level of discipline as well. And likewise, salah. Salah is from those actions, therefore also that Allah mentions in terms of purification of the soul. To spend your time in salah, and therefore, uh, as some of the scholars uh, said, that it's not just the obligatory salah, but also the optional salah. That it is something which purifies a person, not only physically, uh, because you're making wudu and you're physically purifying, purifying yourself, but also spiritually, obviously, more so. Uh, physically, it purifies you and it also benefits you, because we know that the wudu, which is an action that most often is performed uh, because of the salah, first and foremost, even though there are obviously other times and so on that you make the that you make wudu, but most likely it is done for the salah. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ told us in the hadith of Abu Hurairah that from the people who will, or one of the ways that the people of the fire, the believers in the fire will be recognized is from athar wudu. It is from the markings of wudu. And the markings of wudu, uh, he said wasallam, is the markings that you find on the forearms and upon the shins, upon the shins. And the Prophet ﷺ described them as being ghurran muhajjaleen min athar al-wudu. And the ghurran muhajjal is what the Arabs used to describe as the white streaks that you find upon the legs of horses. So the horse has four legs, the four legs and the rear legs. And the white streaks that sometimes you find on the skin, so that if the, if the, if the horse is, is brown or black, and then has a white streak on its legs, that's what they call it in Arabic. And so the Prophet said, because that person that's burned in the fire, they're like charcoal. They've been burned to the fire, in the fire, but those remnants of wudu, those streaks on their arms and upon their legs, they will be still there. And so the Prophet said, for man minkum, whosoever from amongst you, uh, whoever can extend this, then let them do so. And so it was the position of Abu Hurairah and the rate of this hadith, what he meant by extension is to go further above in wudu than the elbow and further above in wudu in terms of the feet than the ankle. And so he would actually wash in some narrations this part as well in his wudu and likewise um, in, in washing his feet he would go above the ankle towards the shin. That was his understanding of this hadith that he meant that by extension. But the majority of the scholars said no, the meaning of extension isn't to go above because the Prophet never did this himself, never reported that he made wudu in that way. What it means by extension is frequency, to make wudu more often, to always constantly be in a state of wudu. And so sometimes even if you have wudu, to repeat wudu again, because it is something which gives you, uh, and that's one of the ways that the people of the fire are going to be recognized. It's one of the ways that they're going to be known and that these are the people of Iman. And that's why, again, as we mentioned before, the scholars who said that the person who doesn't even pray can't be a Muslim, it is because of one of these hadith. Like, how can you be recognized? The other hadith says that those people will be recognized by the marking of sajda on their forehead because of the sajda they used to perform. Someone who never makes sajda in their life or only made it a couple of times in their whole life, what marking of sajda will they have? And so, anyway, that's a different discussion. Um, 
but the so that's one benefit of the salah. Another one is what the Prophet told us وسلم, in the hadith when he said that if there was a river flowing behind your house and you were to go and wash in it five times a day, would any dirt remain upon you? They said, no, Messenger of Allah. He said, likewise is the example of the salah. Five times a day you are immersing yourself in the forgiveness of Allah, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're asking Allah Azza wa Jal for his, his blessings and so on. And it is like you are emerging each time clean. And that is because the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wasallam that from one salah to the next salah is an expiation so long as that person stays away from the major sins. And so long as that person stays away from the major sins from one salah to the next salah is expiation for the minor sins. And so to be people who are diligent, that doesn't mean the person just comes and prays and they don't pray properly, they didn't make wudu properly, they don't recite the words properly, they don't do the actions properly, because that person hasn't prayed, they haven't fulfilled the prayer correctly. But the person who prays correctly, make their wudu correctly, they take their time, they make their adhkar, they do their prayer correctly, they take those 5-10 minutes that it's going to take from one salah to the next salah is an expiation. And that is what the Prophet is referring to. And so the salah is something therefore which cleanses, which purifies a person. And the Prophet as we know, uh, would often rush to the prayer and hurry to the prayer and he would spend a great deal of his time in the salah And so therefore the salah is something which purifies a person. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that from the greatest ways and means of purification are these two amazing acts of worship. And each one is linked to the other because as we know the salah is for the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Prophet said uh, to one of the companions who spoke in the salah, and that's because at the beginning of Islam, it was allowed to speak out of necessity in salah. So if you're praying and there's a need to say something, it was allowed at the very beginning. This companion then left Medina, he traveled for a while, and that ruling changed. The Prophet told the companions, don't speak in salah anymore. Salah is only for the Quran and so on and so forth. This companion returns, doesn't realize and as he's praying, someone sneezes or something, and so he speaks and he says, Yarhamukallah or whatever else. And then the companions start to strike their hands and strike their thighs, telling him basically, be quiet, be quiet. And so he says to them, What's wrong? Right? Like, because he thinks this is now a need. So he speaks and says, What's wrong? What, what did I do wrong? And so they continue to do it, and then he understands they're telling me to be quiet. And so the Prophet said at the end to the, this companion, This salah. It's not a place for people to speak in, but rather it is all the recitation of the Quran and the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the Prophet called the salah dhikr. Called the salah dhikr. And so it is something in which you are constantly engaged in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from its beginning to its end. And so therefore to be a person who is mindful of the salahs, the obligatory salahs, and then whatever nawafil you can pray. And by the way, the nawafil is also a way of purification. It is a means of purification. As the Prophet told us وسلم, that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah Allah will hold the first thing that Allah will hold people to account for on the Day of Judgment is their Salah. And if their Salah is correct, everything else will be easy. And if their Salah is deficient, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala will say to His angels, does this servant of mine have any optional deeds that they can use, any optional Salah that they can use in order to fulfill the deficiencies of the obligatory Salah? So your obligatory salah, not every time you're going to have khushu, not every time you're going to offer it 100% perfectly. There's going to be times when your mind slips and you're distracted and you're whatever else. And so those times, those moments where that salah becomes now deficient, you have become deficient in your salah. How is that salah made up, that deficiency? Allah Azza wa will look at those optional salahs. 
those sunnahs that you prayed before and after that are so important. That tahiyyatul masjid that you offered, the duha, prayer, the two rak'ahs, the witr salah, all of these optional salahs, taraweeh, qiyamul layl, all of this, this is what is being used to make up for those, uh, those, uh, those deficiencies. And then Allah Azza wa Jal will say and do the same with everything else. So for zakah, it is the optional sadaqah. For fasting Ramadan, it is the optional fasts and so on and so forth. And so if a person doesn't have any of those, then that's going to be an issue for them. So this is also another way in which a person should be diligent in terms of the salah, not only the obligatory, but also the optional salah as well. And then they're making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So their day is busy in terms of it being the salahs, whether it's the obligatory or the optional. And in terms of the general dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the general remembrance of Allah azza wa jal from the moment that they wake up, they're making dhikr of Allah azza wa jal, they're remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're making the morning adhkar, and then for the rest of the day until the evening when they make their evening adhkar before they go to bed. And so Allah azza wa jal links between these verses, and therefore those are the people that are successful. Those who purify themselves, they busy their lives in the remembrance of Allah azza wa jal and in His worship. Okay, inshallah ta'ala, I think we will we will stop there for today, inshallah ta'ala, and the next week, inshallah, I think we will perhaps um, conclude the surah and its tafsir, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions? I'm wondering if the opposite is described by the word hayawan. That was not really life, not really living, whilst this is the life, the real life and living. I don't quite understand what the question is. Um, the hayawan is from haya. It is a more uh, emphatic uh, form of that word haya. Haya means life. Hayawan is a more emphatic or more eloquent form of that word. And so therefore it is something which is uh, which is, which is, is there. Yeah, I understand that it's related to that verse, but I don't understand what the question exactly is. I'm wondering if the opposite is described by the word hayawan. Opposite of what though? Uh, or you mean like the life of the people of, of Jannah, that they have only life? Yeah, possibly. But Allah Azza says that for them is only life, and Allah Azza emphasizes it with the more emphatic form to show that it is only life and that there is no death for them and no uh, destruction. Yes, possibly Allah Azza knows best. Um, I don't really know. Allahu Alam. Okay. There's no more questions. Then, inshallah ta'ala we will conclude for today. Just before I go, a, a uh, heads up for those of you that are on our Isnad um, and, and our Isnad uh, chat group or broadcast group on Telegram. We have now, inshallah ta'ala started a a, a students uh, chat group as well. So the broadcast list, as you know, is just a broadcast list, um, and then we have now a chat group that has started, and so you can find the link from the broadcast list to get into the chat group and for those of you that want like the quizzes so it'll be somewhat similar to the QP one uh, Alhamdulillah we have like some of the same sisters running it for us inshallah ta'ala and so it will be similar in terms of questions and quizzes and whatever else and then we'll do some other stuff on there as well in terms of some live Q&A's and what have you and also we have announced the dates for our next course inshallah ta'ala which will be uh, level one fiqh so it will be our first reading of a fiqh text uh, or, at least the, or at least the chapters related to ibadat, the acts of worship uh, in fiqh, inshallah ta'ala. And that will be in mid-January, bidnillahi ta'ala. But you can get more details of that from the Al-Isnad website and from the Al-Isnad uh, chat groups as well, or the telegram groups, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum, sallallahu ala nabiya Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. 
السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته